I am Groot. In honor of Guardians of the Galaxy, what's the weirdest character you've emotionally attached to? I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with Wally's Cockroach, who springs back to life magically and is adorable. Hey, it's me, Dave with the Seven. I have a strong memory of liking Kirby the Vacuum Cleaner from the Brave Little Toaster. I think my family might have had a vacuum cleaner that looked a lot like him. I am Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with No Face from Spirited Away. Not when he's that big blobby thing that keeps consuming people, but later when he's riding the train and he's all smiley and happy. And I'm David Ehrlich, and I'm going to go with any of the characters from the movie One Day. They're not weird, but it's very weird that I have any emotional connection to them. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 33 for Tuesday, July 29th, 2014. See, that's what I was saying. Okay, good. We're going we're, we're gonna to do this. The premise works. So this last weekend down in San Diego, the great advertising nerd gathering happened called San Diego Comic Con. At least you admit that it's just advertising. That's well, I mean, I like that's, that's what. Bold. I mean, it sort of is. It's hard for me to necessarily explain to people because it's definitely a very large, passionate fan experience. But I think you could have that lots of places. What the actual event has turned into is a series of press conferences and uh, giveaways of uh, things that are made limited. I don't know. I don't know how much I've... Some of you know how I feel about that. I like the idea of people who love things getting together. Sort of. We'll talk about that more in segment three. But yeah, it's basically you're you're gonna you want to learn things about movies and comics and toys that uh, that are coming up if you go see a panel or any sort of thing. So I wanted to challenge every one of our panel here to uh, say one thing that they liked that came out of this year's Comic Con. None of us were there, so we're gonna be talking about coverage. I guess it's gonna be hard. Unless that maybe there's cosplay you enjoyed. I don't want to step on people's toes. Let's start with Katie Rich. So uh, it's worth remembering that there was once a time when all four of us went to Comic-Con. We've not always been haters sitting over in New York scowling at Comic-Con, although that is what we've become. Um, my pick is uh, the casting of Jonathan Price on the next season of Game of Thrones. I don't know what the character is. I don't I haven't read the books. I don't know, really know what's coming. But he is a fascinating character actor. I love it when Game of Thrones picks up actors who I recognize from other things, like Karen Hines popping up from time to time and... Uh, They've also added Keisha Castle Hughes as another role I don't know anything about, but she's the girl who was nominated for an Oscar for a whale writer and been waiting for and her. Then to had come a back. baby. And then had a had a baby like right away, and wow. then she got that part in uh, Revenge the of the Sith. Oh, she was in the Nativity Story. She was in the Nativity oh, yeah. Story. Oh man, yeah, that's gonna be fun to talk about. Yeah, so we'll uh, been, we'll talk about that. She's had a few that. years. So yeah, welcome back to uh, her, and thanks Game of Thrones for casting interesting character actors instead of just a bunch of hunky nobodies. Well, it's also good for Game of Thrones because uh, I, I think every not everybody, I shouldn't speak for everybody. Last year, they was sort of like a victory lap after their very successful season. And so this year it was interesting to actually see some news come out of it. For me, someone who loves Game of Thrones, because um, I was just sort of expecting, you know, like the blooper reel and whatnot, which we did get and was fun. 
But yeah, I know who those characters. Yeah, who are they are. playing? Is that a spoiler? Is David gonna freak out if you tell us? I can yeah, playing? Don't, don't tell me. Don't really? Don't, that's me. a spoiler. You are the person who doesn't care about any spoilers. Well, it's just like Katie said. I mean, to to mention what characters are introduced is is almost as severe as saying what characters die. I don't. Mm. I don't want to know what's gonna happen. I don't, I don't think. Well, I, I have names. I have names. <laughs> yeah, you guys. I, I, he imagined it so that he could from repeat your it. Point. Okay, fair, fair enough, I suppose. Uh, I think the names would be meaningless to you guys, but it's fine. People could uh, Google it if they want and judge their, I don't know, spoiler capability. Oh, man. Okay, nope. Back towards the positive. <laughs> Patches, what was something that you liked out of this year's Comic-Con? Um, well, I, I didn't think that they had a lot of big news or anything, or anything that I could enjoy from afar. It sounded like there was actual interesting panels that could be enjoyed if you were in the room, which I guess is promising for the continuation of Comic-Con, because uh, that's what I always enjoyed while being there. But I was uh, interested in this development that Quentin Tarantino is going to, he's making a comic book with Zorro in it. Uh, like a what? Django Unchained uh, crossover with Zorro. And I, I find that very interesting, especially because I don't like Django Unchained, the movie, that much. But I feel like the character uh, is is a throwback that would work in comics, and pairing him with Zorro just seems absurd. And I would totally read that book. Patches, uh, I, I was away. The reason I missed last week's review segment, as you know, was because I was at my father's 75th birthday, and my father proclaimed over the course of the weekend, that Django Unchained is the greatest movie of all time. Well, like father, and, like son then, right? He should know. He's been, he's been alive since 1939. So he's, he's, he's the authority. He's born of all time. Born the same all year as Gone with the Wind. Of all time. I'm not sure it's in my top five Tarantino movies. It is not a good <laughs> take, movie. Take it up with my dad. I, I, bring your dad on this podcast. That's our next segment three, me and uh, him battling over I would have to Django teach him what a podcast is, and that'd be a whole conversation. <laughs> yeah, I'm, um, I'm never teaching my dad what a podcast is. It, it seems like, uh, just going back to Zorro for a second, that they've been trying to reclaim Zorro as a character for eons. Uh, you know, Wasn't Gil Garcia Bernal going to do one? Yeah, there was talk of like a reboot and maybe it was set in the future. Dave probably knows this because I think Latino Review covered the shit out of this whole Zorro reboot thing that was brewing uh, and doesn't seem to have manifested. And I mean, I dig the Antonio Banderas uh, movies. They're they're fun. They're pulpy fun. Um, and, and I think Tarantino even joked or no, Jamie Foxx joked at the panel that they should actually make a movie of Django and Antonio Banderas as Zorro. And because in this comic book, apparently... Uh, Tarantino is a huge Star Wars fan, so that got the nerds going at the panel. And he was talking about um, spin-off novels and how he was—they were able to continue the, the Star Wars saga in expanded universe, which I'm sure melted a few brains at Comic Con. Him dropping uh, references to Splinter of the Mind's Eye. This. I think was originally going to be what Empire the Strike uh, Empire Strikes Back was going to be, and then they just made it into a book. Uh, so he melted brains, and then he kept referring to Zorro as the Obi Wan Kenobi to Django's Luke, and all of Comic Con. I collapsed. love that. Yeah, so I love that. Zorro's going to be old, and Django's going to be young, and they're going to go on an adventure together. And I would totally read the shit out of it. Yeah, and I would love for them to reboot the Zorro property. There's occasionally a little bit of buzz around that. And uh, different people sort of pick it up, and different scripts make their rounds. But I doubt Tarantino's going to do that. But uh, it sounds like Hateful Eight is also on, once again. So, boo! 
Why boo? Did you you read it? Yeah, I read. I mean, you know, of course, it's going to be a little bit different from the script that was leaked and then performed at LACMA, but it's really this. <laughs> scripts are not movies, but this script is just square in the middle of fan service in a way. No, in however, Tarantoni could be. It's or just Tarantino small. Tarantoni. It's just small and a bit. Um, <laughs> and I don't dislike wedding. it because it's it's small, but it just doesn't really seem to broach any new territory for him. And I was really hoping that he would abandon it and move on to anything else. But fortunately, that's not. You the want case, that so Vega we'll... Brothers movie? He's been talking about. I certainly do not. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, Tarantoni is a Frosted Flakes brand pasta. Yeah, probably. All right, just check it out. <laughs> Um, uh, David, would you like to uh, mention something that you liked at uh, this year's Comic-Con news? I know you've been busy in your life, but surely something reached you that wasn't horrible. Because why would you seek out horrible things? Why would you do that to yourself? He couldn't even appreciate Mad Max, which is just a lock ripoff. As I on, uh, on Twitter, I, I didn't really have a choice one way or the other whether or not to uh, to avoid hearing about Comic-Con, but Believe it or not, you guys have actually made this very easy for me and that I can pick Mad Max. This is on a sliding scale here. Uh, in that if this were not the question, uh, would I think twice about the Mad Max trailer? Probably not. It was a perfectly cromulent trailer. Cromulent? Um, wow. Would, uh, you got to dig into your... your You're like old... dodging raindrops here. I'll go on the <laughs> Star Trek Wikipedia to find that word. Or no. Oh, cromulent is... It's I'm called memory alpha patches. It's either a Simpsons or a critic reference. It is not a, I think it's critic. It's not a real word. It is as much a real word as Quizabuck. Anyway, uh, the Mad Max trailer is definitely a cut above uh, the other garbage that came out of Comic-Con because it is, uh, it, it is very expressive of its director's past work that people love and, and are ready to see resurrected and forget about Thunderdome. Um, Do it, you like his past work? I like the first two Mad Max films um, quite a bit, and Babe, and Babe Pig in the City. Yeah, he only I mean, made not think, not the first. He babe. only made only Pig babe, 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 babe Pig yeah. in the City. Yeah, no, and Happy I mean, Feet, even, obviously. Even better, no, Happy Feet's garbage. But uh, Babe <laughs> Pig in the City is even better than Babe. Uh, you know, I think it's it's nice to see this long gestating project come back to light. Um, I think the trailer is not really as incredible as everyone suggested, but it's a trailer. I mean, as I said to somebody this weekend, I don't even care what I think about movies I haven't seen yet. Like, it's it's exciting. Uh, it has some great action beats in it. If the rumors are true that it has a 45-minute chase scene or is all one long chase scene, uh, that sounds appealing, as appealing as anything else, I guess. Uh, it's got a strong cast, and the stunts look nuts and they look practical i'll take that away from the trailer i know fast and furious has done a lot of good in making it practical and getaway is is largely practical oh we all God. know how that turned out <laughs> but um, best movie of 2013 nice. right david oh yeah of course but it's nice to see that when they go to a director known for for you know films that were obviously almost entirely practical back in the day that he has not been swayed away from that um altogether so i'm definitely you know they were successful i'm more excited for mad max fury road than i was this time last week so we'll count that as a win nice and we're running low on time which is good because i liked a lot of stuff so now i could just talk about the one i really liked and i don't have to worry about like covering any ground 
Marvel's doing this comic book event in November called Spider-Verse, where all the different Spider-Men that have ever existed, which includes like your 60s cartoon Spider-Man and your weird Japanese Spider-Man that turns into a giant robot, all the way to like the ultimate Spider-Man that's currently airing on Disney XD, and all the comic Spider-Men in between, they all have to come together and stop the extinction of all the Spider-Men across the multiverse. It doesn't really matter, <laughs> but as my friend Julian would says, my epitaph should be defender of the lesser Spider-Men, so I am just full of joy to learn details about Spider-Verse, which I did. It involves a guy named Morlin. You guys don't care. Comic-Con was awesome. Who is Morlin? <laughs> is that, you, I just, I just ripped open the, the can of worms right there. Yeah, well, well, let me tell you about the spider totem oh patches. Oh my god, never mind, I take it back. I actually thought that your your spiel here about all the Spider-Men from across the multiverses, they were going to like live in a house together. That's what I was Ooh, like the real world like for a, Spider-Man? Yeah, it'd be like a real world Spider-Man where they have to, they just talk to the camera and hang out and complain about there's each no, other there's no yeah there's nothing to fight or anything they well just i mean out. the the advertising side of this is also they've partnered with some weird app companies there's going to be an endless runner where you could play as all the different spider-men but you know if that's more up your alley as somebody who doesn't read comics at least you get to play around with all these weird spider-men with different powers and looks and as a even from a design perspective come on spider-man he's awesome Except when he's doing dubstep. You love dubstep. I just wanted to end on a button, Patches. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, just you can cut just out let him do it. When did Spider-Man do dubstep? Did I left Lucy might have noticed that on last Friday's review episode of Lucy and Hercules that David was absent and if you follow David on Twitter which you guys should all do because he says weird out there stuff. He gets in fights. <laughs> and yeah, well, that too. But I mean, you don't have to follow him to see him fight. You come here to see him fight. So, we're going to we're going to let David fight because I think David really liked Lucy to a degree that I felt like his opinion needed to be broadcast so we can hold him all accountable later. <laughs> David? Uh, yeah. Lucy, much to my surprise, because I think we can all agree that it, it sort of looked like Drek, uh, and I had long ago written Luc Besson off as less of a filmmaker these days than he is an empire as the one of the co-founders of CinemaCorp, which is one of the world's largest fully integrated film studios, and he's produced a lot of schlock and a lot of things like the Transporter movies that have done very well, of course. Yes, yeah, so now he's teaching movies. young minds to direct yeah, schlock. He's, he's, Perfect. Uh, and... Um, you know, his the film school, you know, I use that term loosely, that he was a part of in the 80s in France, known informally as the Cinema du Luc, uh, was really, you know, championed as a cinema that prized aesthetics and style over substance, which I think a lot of even his most ardent fans would not disagree with, uh, has been passed on to less capable hands. But now, after The Family, which really should have been the nail in the coffin, 
Luc Besson, out of nowhere, is back with the most exciting movie of its kind. What is of its kind? I don't know. It's like an action movie tree of life. And if I'm repeating things that were said on the review episode that I haven't had a chance to listen to, I apologize. Um, But this is, I I really, really was taken with this movie. I think I agree with what I told Katie and Allison were saying that it, uh, yes, I'm taking three with this movie. the movie is, in its, in some ways, very stupid, but at the same time, also quite yes. brilliant. I think that it, it uh, something that a oh, friend of the show, Peter Labuza, treated, tweeted uh, after seeing the film, something to the effect of intelligence in blockbuster cinema is almost always regarded, uh, is confined to sort of the narrative domain and never the visual domain. I think people are Such much bullshit. more interested in quantifying <laughs> intelligence and visually, the more special effects, the more, spe- you know, and I think it's, there's a visual finesse in the way that Luc Besson is able to build and milk the simplest of beats in this movie that is, is really magical and shows how deprived we are uh, when it comes to our mainstream cinema. I think even where the movie starts, and of course, you know, you have these very silly uh, intercutting, it's almost like a dialectical montage, like something out of Eisenstein, when he's cutting in uh, obviously uh, metaphorical footage, uh, the nature footage of uh, Cheetah stalking a gazelle or whatever it is, with Lucy being trapped. Um, I think what he's really doing is sort of bringing in the entire world, as we know it, busting the walls of action cinema and preparing you for the incredibly wild scope <laughs> this rather confined movie this you know narratively confined movie uh, on the most literal level is going to end up involving but even the stuff with her and the drug deal that goes wrong with Choi Min Sik uh, it's all so energizing and well done because it's just it's so smartly done it's so smartly choreographed every beat is loaded with and dense with the these sort of little bits of movie magic that you can see ported directly over from leon and the professional he knows what he's doing so well all the beats work even the silliest stuff resurfaces in meaningful ways the things that feel like they come out of left field just feel like they're eventually part of the texture of the movie and this is a movie that 30 minutes in or less already has scarlett johansson performing surgery on herself without feeling any pain and murdering like wantonly shooting uh people she encounters anyway i will, I will she doesn't murder that cab to... driver for the record it's uh, there's adr the dialogue that says he is not dead oh yeah, yeah. his leg Oh, good for her. Oh yeah, you missed that part. <laughs> I did. I was. I was. Uh, she does was shoot someone in on a bedroom. in a hospital who is in the process of dying. She does murder but that person. I I I think that this it, it's great to see somebody have the courage of their convictions and the talent to pull it off at this wackadoo level. He has nobody telling him no because he owns the fucking studio. Uh, he goes for broke. And I think really what this movie is for me is just a reminder that action movies don't have to play within uh, that small of a box. That they, even if it's silly and, and wildly overreaching, that they can bring in all of these various elements and, and not be afraid to commune with these things. To not, ha- not be afraid to have a movie that has Scarlett Johansson uh, engaging in unwinnable gun battles for the opposition, uh, while at the same time scrolling through time like it's an iPad. I, I mean, I think it all, it all throws, she throws it on the wall and it all sticks. There's a million things to like in this movie packed into 80 minutes. Uh, I really, I can't imagine that I see a more enjoyable film this summer. Wow. Yeah. Have you ever uh, thought about getting into the snake oil business? Zing! Oh. Wow. This movie is horrible. 
But no. see our review for that, my explanation there. It is terrible. It is incoherent, incompetent, uh, and, and totally unaware of its own I think, laughable I think... elements. I think all views have been think, represented. I think, <laughs> I think I'm going to gavel. I, the wait, fact what? that Patches thinks it's unaware, that Luke Besson I think it's is totally unaware. self-aware. Nope. I, I th- see, unfortunately, I, I we'll never know. there's no way of proving this. No, but I, I think we do know. I think that there's no way. You, you of all people Luke... think that we can't like understand someone's I, intentions, I, I, and you come to the table all the time with that. So I, neither I of do, us will ever know, but for me, it's so born out, this is like an unaware film. How self-aware this film is and how self-aware Luc Besson is at his best, which is, you know, infrequent to say the least, is uh, should tell is us something. Out in how in how he's been making his movies. And he believed in this film. He was go for broke. I mean, he poured, you know, unparalleled resources, you know, given what his studio has to work with into this movie. Um, I, I think that you are coming at it and refusing to sort of play on the movies, abide by the movie's terms. Oh yeah, trouble, so it's my it's my problem. You're right. It is definitely I your mean, problem. It's not. Lucy and I are very happy together. Well, that's good. Patches, you can have you've come out against The Rock and Lucy in a single week. You're really you're wrong I'm for ready. America. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm okay. Well, wait, Luke Passan is French. I know, but America yes, loves Lucy. Just like Ricky <laughs> Ricardo. Says the ads. I don't care. a hypothesis a premonition i'm thinking about the future i'm thinking about the future of all these movies that are based on like remakes and interconnected things things like universal putting all of its monster movies together or things like marvel having i don't know like dates through 2019 you're always thinking about these things well i mean i'm always thinking about these things because they interest me as like fandoms but now i'm starting to think about it the other way because of a some interactions during San Diego Comic-Con with people that I, in the way that I like to froth certain conflicts, uh, you know, to the forefront, sort of, you know, fan the flames that there was a competition between DC and Marvel, which is ridiculous. They're all going to get all these people's money. Uh, you know, and over on our other podcast, Republic City Dispatch, that covers Legend of Korra, a show that was on the Nickelodeon channel, is uh, now digital distribution only, possibly because of some leaked episodes that forced this season to sort of roll out without any advertising and therefore take like a ratings plummet. Possibly. These are all hypotheses. So my question is, if we are like went into Comic-Con that didn't even have like a Batman versus Superman on the schedule and the fact that it showed up was a surprise and people could then get disappointed that The Rock didn't announce that he was going to be in Shazam, or that they didn't announce a Wonder Woman solo movie. Can't is it possible that we're going to get to the point where the fandoms and what they say they want, and because they have the capability of massing together on the internet and appearing very loud, are they going to be able to basically kill off these mega franchises by forcing them to rush? Basically, Ant Man's not moving. Batman vs. Superman is shooting back-to-back with Justice League. All these movie stars are signing these ridiculously long contracts, and if they want Robert Downey Jr. back for Iron Man 4, they're going to have to pay a ridiculous amount of money. Is it possible that these two things, if given enough steroids, can just self-destruct each it's other? Like, it's like your geek audience is 4chan. 
Is that what it's becoming now? Well, I see. It's not so much that. It's is like the way that Hollywood deals with fandom becoming more like 4chan. I mean, are you like, blaming fandom for stuff like Robert Downey Jr. getting paid too much to do Iron Man four? Like, I feel like a lot of this is just the product of these being large, expensive products. Right, but I mean, is the tipping point that brings it about going to be like trying to satiate the demand from like these? people that they think they're trying to serve it's like if you think if there's a communication between like you know if you send enough you know sand if you buy enough sandwiches on subway it brings chuck back that seems like some sort of like discussion between a consumer culture and a fandom whereas we demand that you give us batman and superman for the next 10 years and you promise you're going to do it now is a different sort of strain that I don't think we've seen on Hollywood ever. You know before. what's interesting? I was just maybe this has nothing to do with what you're talking. That's about. possible. Keep, but, keep going. Um, you know, I think a few years ago I would have been like, "There's no way, no matter how angry a, a fandom could be, a fan base or, or people on the internet could be, that they would ever direct <laughs> how Hollywood operates, how movie making works." But now <laughs> that I'm like exposed to youtube culture and i've been reading more articles about how like important no-name personalities on youtube are and how you know they get like millions of views for unwrapping like a gift from a studio or or from a toy company um that that seems really dangerous i feel like youtube we have to look to youtube here for a little insight into like the future of entertainment and everything will just eventually be boiled down to whatever is on YouTube. It's going to be basically just people talking to us about Batman well, I mean, versus maybe Superman not just YouTube, rather than but... actual Batman versus Superman movies. It seems like that's more important to people. I, I Actually, David, you tweeted something about the jump cuts of YouTube videos that I found really interesting. But I don't think that, I don't know if that's applicable here. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that we can have a whole segment three about the film grammar of those YouTube selfie <laughs> shows. I don't know what, what the technical term for... I really struggle with trying to figure out what the name was for those shows that dominate talking. YouTube. Yeah, where it's just like somebody speaking into their webcam. I call them webcam shows, which I think is probably as accurate as... Yeah, that's like, it's kind of old man internet right? of you. That's, yeah. that's real-world <laughs> confessional style. Down on my webcam, I once but, uh, talked to people about my click wheel iPod. But don't you think but these people are the new the suits? Fandoms, these... And I'm not sure how closely this pertains to what Dave was getting at at the top of the segment. Is that what they really want is not what they think they want. What they yes. really want is things, is by almost definition, is by, is what they haven't been able to think of themselves. I mean, of course they want to spend more time in these worlds with these characters that they love, but I think, you know, fandom is in discovery, the discovery that uh, allows fandom to continue, that sort of uh, keeps that flame alive, is dependent upon surprise and dependent upon not being able to devise these things for yourself, for, for giving control over to the creators of these things. I mean, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I, just, I think that, like, they, they want... They want things they can't anticipate, and I think this is part of why Zack Snyder is uh, has been such a disaster for everybody. Because he, this is a guy who was predicated on giving, who, who built his film career on giving people exactly what they expected. I mean, he's transposing panels 
you know, element for element, shot for shot from, from graphic novels. It is purely animating things that pre-exist. We've talked about this on the show before, and this is the guy that DC is trusting with their largest properties, and it's just, it's not going to end well. I mean, that's only one of the several reasons why Zack Snyder is a disaster. (laughs) Is there there any um, path that, like, audience-director relationships or audience-studio relationships could function properly where feedback and, like, the collaborative effort of audience and uh, director makes sense? I mean, it's so interesting to see things like Project Greenlight spring up or all these... You know, way, that's way back when, or now it's coming back for some reason. It is? Uh, yeah, Project <laughs> yeah, is. is back. Wow, I didn't uh, hear that. But now there's, but... Also, there's also, like, group think, make, let's make a movie together websites. I, I, I get offers about these things or, like, PR blasts about projects like this all the time. It's like, let's pick a director together and let's write the script one scene at a time all together and, and try and do, make it exactly what the crowd wants it to be uh and there seems right. to be an impulse on on not just the franchise level but like these small indies about trying to do it together through the internet but right, what, I mean, if, what uh, if like what if cons were more or what if the dynamic between the dynamic between studios and their fans were more like that between apple and their fans and the public especially you know when steve jobs is alive what if the i mean this would of course uh be death for so many websites it would force them to actually engage critically with movies rather than just carry the studio's water for them but like what if there was uh, radio silence between the studios and the public uh outside of press releases and trailers and whatnot and then comic cons were and, and, I'm, and i'm sort of playing devil's advocate here i'm not suggesting that this is actually comic cons are like the coliseum <laughs> right and comic cons are when they like what you know they unveil these new products in a way that even the most tapped in fans had only heard, you know, conjecture about that, that, you know, that it was, which I guess doesn't seem so far off from the current state of things, but everybody knows, you know, that um, there, there, there's a certain, there's nothing really mind blowing about it. I mean, like the Skull Island thing when they were like, right. oh, by the way, but like, there's no substance there. There's no there there. And I mean, yet the that was met, that Apple. was met with like a, meh. I can't yeah, do the emoticon I mean, over wait, the podcast, really? you but you know what I'm excited? doing. I mean, when they did that no, for guys, I mean, I was excited ex- about about like a a kernel of a kernel of an idea. You don't have any filmmakers attached. You don't. It's just right. like when, no they directly, with, uh, vapor. when they did that with Godzilla I mean, a couple years ago, it went really well. They had that uh, that little well, mini trailer with Godzilla. Kind of. Yeah, it was connected. It wasn't real footage, but it was yeah. something to see. And they had the Oppenheimer quote. Sort of. Yeah, I mean, this is. You know, when Steve Jobs goes out there and he says, it's an iPod, it's a phone, it's uh, whatever. <laughs> vision. He goes, he goes, fuck you, it's right here in my pocket. And, like, people shat themselves. And, like, I think it would be pretty incredible. You see, like, the Radiohead model or whatever you want to call it. Of course, this is not compatible with the, the nature of film production as we know it. But I isn't mean, this what Chris Nolan does for people? Of dollars to develop. Chris Nolan um, jazzes yeah. people with that exact approach. He's like, I'm just going to make the movie that I want to make. And that's why Inception was a huge hit and why Interstellar is making geeks froth at the mouth. And you wouldn't have to go that far. I mean, of course, it's not advantageous for the studios or for anyone to say, here's another thing. It's called Skull Island. It's already shot and it comes out this Christmas. But they can say it's called Skull Island. It comes out next May and here's a huge trailer. Here's the first cast reveal. Here's all this shit. And we 
had pinned out the release date. Uh, and Dave would never let project. that happen. Dave would not. <laughs> Dave, writing on the internet, would never allow that reveal to occur. But there, I mean, there I, are I bloggers it's... devoted to spoiling Apple in the exact same way, and Apple managed to stay ahead of them. Doesn't, yeah, because Apple doesn't really engage with them because Apple doesn't fear or necessarily even respect them. And the public, for the most part, isn't especially engaged in that. They're, they're always excited about, oh, like, oh, there's going to be another iPod coming down the line. Or, like, maybe they're going to make a watch. But it never really gets beyond water cooler talk. And then those keynotes are always exciting. There's a reason, you know, it's a whole different culture. It's not, oh, it's only here for the fans to see. They're live stream. How, be- how do we get the next big blockbuster franchise to feel like Hillary Clinton's presidential run? Where we know... Mm. It's for going like, to happen for like two years, and yet that's supposedly what's going to happen. <laughs> Wait, what, I mean, what's going to happen? What if they? I think. What if Mad Max, which has been shooting for like since the dawn of time, yeah, since we Mad were all Max born, Fury Road, but like no one has been paying attention. There's a whole stink of it being a troubled production before you know people were, which only helps it. Right, but like, what if? What like? Did you really need to know about it? Like, did you really need to know about it for the past five years? What if the first you had been hearing about it, the first anyone had been hearing about it, when they dropped that trailer? Like, you think the buzz is electric now. People would have been beside themselves. I think about when they uh, launched the Tron trailer at the, um, I guess it was 2008's Comic-Con, and nobody knew they were making Tron Legacy at all, and then all of a sudden they put that online and people lost their minds. That rule. Yeah. I mean, stuff like that's good, but it's like, just thinking about it from the other side, we've been thinking a lot from the fandom side. I think it's the miscommunications happening the other way because the consequences of having these interconnected intellectual properties is like you can't have a crackerjack PR team that is like listening to people like us on podcasts that are able to shepherd these huge behemoths through things like that. Like, you know, you can make a Tron because you resurrect a, you know, property that the original came out so long ago that like nobody's going to be like, oh, I saw Tron on the production schedule. Yeah, that's that's funny. It's a funny it's a funny test name for something, but like on the other hand, so you have these studios who think that it's their job to pre-sell in a certain way, and then these bloggers who think it's their job to like also get ahead me on whatever the sort of thing is. And the problem is that and it was something like Apple. Those are two completely separate industries, but in film coverage, they're the same industry. Like I'm talking to publicists but then also trying to do what they don't want me to do at the same time so like i feel like if there was some sort of conversation between the fandoms and the studios at least so people started understanding like what was possible from each party otherwise i i'm actually i'm about to be devil's advocate to my own comment here because on one hand i was thinking Yes, would you know? Going back to Project Greenlight, like, what if studios were more transparent with their blockbusters? And really, what's getting 150 million dollars and four quadrant and just big dumb action movies or CG spectacles were totally transparent, collaborative efforts where we all get to pick all the parts along the way and we know exactly what we're getting because that's what people want anyway. But it would be less frustrating because we know they're collaborative efforts. There's something there that's more like Project Greenlight that seems. I don't know. It's 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 very frustrating to read people trying to scoop out blockbusters like they're all a big deal or like we want to spoil them. Instead, there's no spoiling here because they're totally collaborative. But and, but, yeah. but people. 
People <laughs> no, think they ahead. want you to spoil it, but they don't. They want to be surprised. At least I do. I mean, I'll like look at various spoilers for things when Dave reports them and then tease patches about whatever Star Wars spoilers I can send to him. But truthfully, I want to know a little bit and then find something that surprises me. All the best parts of all recent blockbusters or sorry, that's a broad generalization. Many great parts of many recent blockbusters have been things we didn't know were coming. Part of why Star Trek Into Darkness was such a mess is because the surprise that they were working so hard to keep secret was so obvious and it was it played out as a surprise anyway. But when it does come as a surprise, it's thrilling and you don't really want to know that much. And it's the simplest things as a light. I remember being, you know, I've seen several Godzilla films and I'm familiar with him as a monster, but I was so engaged in Gareth Edwards' film that when he breathed fire, electron, bolt, whatever you want to call it at the end, I'd completely forgotten that he could do that. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> that's, that's right. That's crazy. It's the simplest thing. But because the movie earns the, the surprise, the, the payoff, then it, it delivers. It doesn't need to be cultivated over years and years of you know, information protection. Teaser trailers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a way to craft a movie in production. I think Joss Whedon is trying to find it now uh, and has been doing a much better job than some of the other, you know, big franchise movie directors of letting people know things at a familiar pace. I think the uh, Colin Trevorrow, whoever's doing Jurassic World... He's also doing a good job where, like, the first leaked thing came out and the first thing he did was give an interview that's like, here's what's going on. See, that this was crazy true. to me. I this really is, no. disliked that. I'm with I mean, Patches. I stand with Patches. Okay, see so here, that that was the first time that uh, I'd ever had any sort of, I've ever seen anything from the production, and it was the first time i had ever heard anything or read anything from him. And that got me on the side that was like, now even if I find something Jurassic World, I'm going to think twice before I'm just like, everybody needs to know what this is. Because I feel like I'm on a team. Like, I feel like I didn't get mystery boxed, like, and straight up lied to. But you were such a tiny audience for something like that. Right. Well, and here's the thing, is that it also, they should not care about what I think. But they should be try if they want to encourage a positive feedback, it really just takes something small like that, I think. Do you feel like Star Wars has done enough for that? Yeah, I mean, I think that Star Wars could just stop telling us everything and then November next year release a trailer and it would ha- get just as many people as if the entire script leaked tomorrow. Well, what's so funny is that it's just like most people don't read about this stuff, right? They do really go into blockbusters without a clue, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. you could mold your experience, but if you do want to do it, that's such a small audience that if you give them the right things, like, you know, telling us there's going to be Hulkbuster armor in Avengers Age of Ultron is enough for a long time. You don't need to tell us what the ending of the movie is before the movie comes out. Or that out. tease. Is, uh, wait, hold on. Raise, raise hand in the back of the class here. What is yes. Hulkbuster armor? Whoa, it's spoilers. another Iron Man armor that's big enough to fight the Hulk. Okay. And who is Ultron? James Spader uh, as oh a robot. Yes. Okay. Now, now yeah. we're just who going does, to the territory Aaron that you Taylor hate. Johnson play? Quicksilver. Uh, that Quicksilver. you hated in X-Men. Okay, and what? Wait, what? You didn't even <laughs> see X Men. Oh god! Uh, oh god! I didn't see X Men, but you're blowing my mind. It's the same character from X Men is showing up. It's in a this? really complicated loophole yeah. that allows him to exist in both films. Uh, 
And those are the things that are going to be the undoing, the people who are genuinely pissed that this character is showing up in two different franchises and think that's an actual thing capable of being upset about. Or like uh, people that I talk to online a lot who are like, Fantastic Four, because nothing's leaked from it, it's not actually shooting. Fox is just, you know, like trying to bait Marvel into doing something with the comic line. These people exist, and they're perfectly... They're like truthers. Yeah, they're like they're fantastic. They also truthers. think That's that totally... we fake the moon landing. Uh, maybe who knows? But it's like that sort of thing. It's uh, when it's not when it's dealt with wrong on both sides. It it's capable of inflating each side's ego to the point that I think that that's the downfall of like the system. So it's like s- fans need to get better at recognizing what they that sometimes they don't know what they want in movies, which I think is fine. I also don't think that the fans are going to change. I think it's like the studios before they could squelch all this thing need to find a way to navigate these different intellectual properties as one unit. And I think that's why we see success in things like Marvel studios or at least financial success is because they all sort of, at least for now before, you know, 10 years from now when people are writing books about it are all uniting behind Kevin Feige Whereas all these other studios are trying to find their, you know, figurehead to get behind because they're all sort of realizing that with a unified vision, you can make this sustainable. But otherwise, it's a let's you're playing Jenga with with the intellectual property, and you can only reboot it so many times. Number one, number yeah. one, number one. No one ever needs to interview Kevin Feige ever again because he no, does not talk man, about anything interesting. And I'm the man is amazing interested. at saying nothing. I'm actually interested well, I mean, in how Marvel operates, and yet no one can have a conversation with him that isn't about the future of Marvel. Like, wait, wait, wait. That's that's like Disney thing. Like nobody wants to read a book by the current president of Disney. You want to read books by the old presidents of Disney. Yeah, that's well, true. When... I would want to read it now, but I know I can't. I'm, that which means I don't need to read any more interviews with Kevin Feige. Yeah, Number when Kevin two... Feige retires, he's going to write a great tell-all about I, I everyone so. who's an I asshole. So. Yeah, That'll the Edgar Wright saga. Um, All the Marvel uh, people two, do. Why can't everything be Cloverfield? And then number three, uh, <laughs> why can't we go back to the days? I, I just remember as a kid, it was like the closest we came to a, a, a spoiler or like secrecy was um, Steven Spielberg printing his scripts in red ink so that they couldn't be copied. And so like, you're basically wishing the internet would go away? <laughs> yes! Yay! Yeah, that's what he's saying. Old Man Patches thinks it was better before. Back in my day, Steven Spielberg printed his scripts in red ink so they couldn't be photocopied. Ever heard of a thing called ink or printers? (laughs) You don't even know how to read on paper, kids. Didn't didn't Samuel Jackson like leave his printed script for the Avengers somewhere? Yeah. yeah, that's how the first Avengers script got leaked. I leased. guess that's why. I guess that doesn't well, work either. Well, the Avengers Age of Ultron script was sent out with time-sensitive internet passwords this time. Ooh, like, it's like a, uh, like to, a screener link. I hope it was, yeah, to, uh, to avoid that whole thing. I, I hope thing. it was as difficult to access as a screener link. Well, some people apparently read it, but There's you know, we'll an old man called Mississippi. That's the old man that I'd like to be. What does he care if the world's That does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back on Friday to talk about what else? Guardians of the Galaxy and Marvel Phase 3. And probably fit in some digs against Kevin Feige in there. That's what we do. Still Phase 2. It's okay, ah, though. Whatever. Marvel, Things, Space, Chris Pratt. We'll be talking about that later. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I write on the internet all over the place and try to put on mattpatches.com, which is a Tumblr. 
episode. Long time ago. And uh, I am on the Twitter at at Mr. Patches, and we have a website called FightingInTheWarRoom.com. Share the episodes, and you can comment and leave reactions or keep these conversations going. I would definitely be interested in reading your thoughts on some of the things we talked about today. And you can leave them right there on FightingInTheWarRoom.com. I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the editor-at-large of Little White Lies magazine, and I also have Resolve, and you can go to other places, and you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich, Necrotarian Corner, and you can find all of us together on thefacebook.com for old man patches, and Facebook for the rest of us, uh, at Fighting in the War Room, where we're happy to hear from you. I'm Dave Gonzalez. I spell that first part DA7E, which is also my Twitter handle. I read about superhero movie news and Star Wars rumors, maybe to the detriment of all film going society, at latino review.com. And I will not be here for the month of August. Oh my god, that's Call and ask where I am. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I'm, I'm gone for a little while, mysteriously traveling around the country trying to stop Spider-Man from behaving badly in places like Times Square. I'm on the Spider-Man uh, rehab tour. It's going to be great. But, yes, it's going to be, oh man, in so many ways. You could call the show at 914-410-6450 and leave us a voicemail. We get some thought-provoking questions. We get some butt dials. And if it's really good, you get to hear it. And I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fairs Hollywood. And on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. I remember when Twitter was new, just like Old Man Patches does. Uh, you can find our entire podcast there as well at F-I-T-W-R, which is also a place where you can answer this week's lightning round question, which is... In honor of Guardians of the Galaxy, what's the weirdest character you've emotionally attached to? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday. Patches, he just keeps rolling along. It'd be, tro- be trolling along, <laughs> wouldn't it? I just keep trolling along. Get on up! Get on up!